All right, thank you, Bart, for that prayer and for reading God's Word for us. Um, five and a half years ago now, I became a parent, and it has been awesome. And there are so many parts of it that are great, but one great part is, is that you are reminded constantly of what it's like to be a kid. So here's an example. The other day, I was talking with my son, and he said to me, he said, you know, if lava ever comes to our house, then I said, wait, what? <laughs> he said, you know, like lava from a volcano. <laughs> As we talked, it became clear to me what was going on. You see, my son, he's learned about volcanoes and lava, and he has seen lava depicted in media. You know, it's often this obstacle that the heroes have to overcome, right? Lava's coming out and they have to get across. He has played games like the floor is lava. And as I thought about it, I realized, man, there's a lot like a disproportionate amount of lava-related things in his life, right? So as far as he knows, lava is a very real, imminent possibility. Lava could show up at our house. And so he was trying to come up with a plan and let me know about it. He was like, here's what we're going to do if lava comes. Apparently you and mom aren't, aren't thinking about these things, so I'll take it upon myself. So I explained to him, you know, he doesn't have to worry about lava here in central Kentucky. Um, but it did, it did make me think, right? It made me think. Because when I was a kid, there were a lot of things I thought might be a problem, but they haven't really popped up in my life. And maybe you're the same. For example, I have never, ever, never once stepped on a banana peel and slipped, right? <laughs> hasn't happened. Now, I will say, I did step on a rake once. And it flew up and smacked me right in the face. And it hurt, but I also was just so shocked that I'd gotten cartooned by a rake, you know. Uh, how about this one? Maybe you remember this, uh, the Bermuda Triangle. Do you remember that being a thing, like, growing up? I mean, it was this huge mystery, right? Part of the ocean where ships and planes just vanish. I remember, like, Scooby-Doo or maybe the Hardy Boys solved some mysteries there. Like, I was kind of concerned about the Bermuda Triangle, but I guess I don't have anything to worry about. I haven't heard about it in a long time, right? Now, this next one, I don't think it's really my fault, um, but I was often told growing up that, that I was going to run into this problem, that if I did not master math growing up, I'd be in trouble because, what? You're not going to have a calculator in your pocket everywhere you go. For some reason, that, has, that hasn't really been a problem that I was told it was going to be. But, you know, when it, when it comes to things you worried about as a kid that turn out to not really be a problem, I think the king of all of them has to be quicksand. Quicksand. When I was growing up, quicksand was everywhere. You know, Robin Williams, his floor was turning into quicksand in Jumanji. Scrooge McDuck was stuck in it, right? Uh, Pinky and the Brain ran into it. One of my favorite movies, The NeverEnding Story, had this terrible, oh, I see people's faces right now, this awful, awful, terrible, depressing quicksand scene, uh, and I'm so sorry for reminding you of it, if you had locked that away in your head. And then, of course, there's the famous scene in Princess Bride, right, where Princess Buttercup, she just like whew, vanishes into this pit of sand, and Wesley, out of his love for her, he doesn't hesitate, he grabs a vine, he dives in headfirst, and he rescues her. I'm it just seemed, growing up, as if quicksand was going to be a bigger deal. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> I, either, I either read about this or, or like an adult taught me about how to survive if you fall into quicksand. And I, I know that because I still remember what to do, right? You, you stay calm. 
you float on your back, um, and someone else can reach out with a stick or a vine. But you do not go in after the person um, yourself, because you'll both get sucked down there, and you will die in quicksand. And it turns out that's not even true, right? Quicksand, in reality, it's more of an inconvenience than a danger. You might lose a shoe, but you're unlikely to ever sink down past your waist. But as a kid, I mean, quicksand was on my radar, you know? And then one day, you grow up and you learn you don't have to be worried about quicksand. Well, sort of, right? I mean, at least not that type of quicksand. A few weeks back, we looked at Colossians 2, 6 through 7. And in Colossians 2, 6 through 7, Paul tells us to be rooted in Jesus. He says, Jesus is our foundation He's where we're supposed to draw life from. And if we are rooted, if we are anchored in him, we will grow into these healthy and full people. He is the source of our life. Now, I want you to see in the next verses what Paul says here in verse 8 specifically. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. You see, there is quicksand. There's soil, there's ground that looks secure. You know, it's the sort of ground you could build your life on. It's well-researched. It's a popular place to build. But the reality is, it is quicksand. And Paul says there are these philosophies, these ideas that are vying for your roots, and he says they are hollow and deceptive. And if you build there, the ground will give out. And you'll sink. And so so I want us to consider this, that there are these other voices that want you to take root in them. But first we have to remember, I mean, Paul didn't write this letter directly to you and I, 2023, right? So when Paul is talking about hollow and deceptive philosophies, hollow and deceptive voices that want you to take root in them, he has something specific in mind, right? So this morning, I would like us to travel to Colossae. All right? Um, so this is modern day. This is where Colossae was. This is a modern day map. Um, but if you were to travel, you know, to, to Rome in the time of Paul's day, it would look something more like this. There we go. And, and maybe you can see right there, it's like above uh, Lycia, um, right above it. And so they have kind of done their best to recreate a map of what the city of Colossae might have looked like. And so this is their best attempt at kind of a recreation of the city. So if you can, imagine for a moment that we're there, right? And I want to introduce you to some of the voices you would have run into in that city around 40 AD. And I've asked uh, some of our youth group guys are going to help me out this morning. They're going to come up now. They're going to take maybe three over here, three over here, and they're going to represent some of these voices. They gladly volunteered, not really knowing uh, what they were doing. Um, And so I appreciate them so much. All right. (laughs) Now, this was a time, right? And they're going to be standing up here a long time. So you guys just get comfortable. All right. Just enjoy it. All right. Uh, This was a time when there were so many different ideas about philosophy and religion, right? You, you originally had the Greeks, um, and they had lots of gods, lots of different ideas about life. And then, of course, the Romans came in, and they took the Greek gods, they changed their names, they brought in new gods, they combined some things together. And as the Romans conquered other people, they just kind of adapted 
their gods, right? And so in a city like Colossae, it all just blended together. I mean, there was a bit of everything. It's like one big melting pot. Um, and, and so here's the first one we're going to run into, all right? Uh, Mr. Ethan, you're going to be... Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm going to let you put it on next time. Okay. You're going to be Sibylle, okay? Sibylle. So Sibylle was kind of seen as a mother goddess, all right? Which I think Ethan really exudes some of those characteristics. Um <laughs> And she was represented by lions. Uh, they carried her around in a chariot. She was the goddess of marriage and love. But, but not, just, not just the goddess of marriage. It was really kind of any kind of love that you wanted. And so there were these festivals in the streets where they celebrated a very physical love with lots, just kind of everybody who was there, stranger, friend, everybody. And so if we we're kind of just to boil it down to one ethos of Sibylle, it's this. You need love in every form, Right? Let's go for it all, okay? Next up, we're going to have uh, Isis, all right? Nathan's going to be Isis for us. Now, Isis, she was an Egyptian goddess, okay? She was brought over from Egypt. Now, she was the wife of the god of death, Horus. After he was cut up into pieces, she went and put him back together and wrapped him in bandages to keep him held together. Sounds like a what? A mummy, right, yeah, absolutely. And she was the goddess of, of magical power. Nathan Megan gets like a little, yeah, perfect, all right? And, and in the myths surrounding her, she often uses her magic to outmaneuver and trick others around her. And, and the worship of Isis often focused on the same, these spells and incantations um, that could give you what you want. All right, that was kind of what she was all about. So for Isis, we're learning as we go. Um, you need magical power over others, right? That was a key idea behind her. All right, next up, Mr. Avery is going to be Serapis. Um, now, when the Greeks conquered Egypt, the Egyptians and the Greeks had trouble getting along. As you might could imagine, you, you weren't super excited to hang out with people who had conquered them. So this guy, Ptolemy I, he invented a god, all right? He invented a god. He combined some aspects of Egyptian gods with Greek gods. And here's what's it's fascinating to me, right? When we think about, like, the gods of Rome, gods and goddesses, we're like, well, you know, they were, they were fake. There were these man-made ideas and stuff. But at the time, I mean, everyone knew that Serapis was fake because this emperor literally just invented a god to get people to get along, right? Everybody knew it was made up, but it didn't matter, and lots of people worshipped Serapis. And so the idea behind Serapis was you need to get along, right? You need to come together. You need to get along. That's what it's really about. All right, on the other side, we're going to work our way through. Um, we had Mithras, okay? Now, Mithras, Eli, was the god of secrets and mysteries. Can you look mysterious, Eli? Oh, yes, perfect. All right, all right, that was brilliant. Um, and, and, and Mithras and the cult of Mithras, they had all these secret symbols and gestures, secret handshakes. They had underground temples with hidden entrances. Only those who were members could worship, and only they could be told the secrets and mysteries. It's interesting. I mean, we actually know very little today about what they actually did in their meetings because they were so secretive. So for... Oh, get my yarn together. So for Mithras, um, the idea here is you need our secrets. We have secret information, and you need it, and only those who are part of us can have access, right? All right, now this next one, you're probably a little more familiar with some of these than, than with some of these other ones, because it's Judaism, 
right? Now, Judaism was obviously around at the time. In fact, that was Paul's life, right? And now, this was obviously there were different ideas within Judaism at the time, but it was certainly a time when many Jewish people were putting a great emphasis on keeping God's commandments, right? And you see this especially in the New Testament among who? The Pharisees, right? I mean, they're all about it. Of course, they had the Ten Commandments, and they were, you know, they wanted to keep the Sabbath holy, but man, they had gone a step further and a step further, right? Detailing how far you could carry things on the Sabbath before you were breaking the law. They, they mapped out all the details, all the interpretations of how to perfectly adhere to God's commands. So, so certainly there was a line of thought within Judaism that's all about you need to keep the rules. And man, maybe you can give us like a, like a give us something like you got to keep the rules or else. Yeah, all right. Brilliant. Um, Finally, the last one, um, we have the moon goddess, Selene. <laughs> All right? <laughs> Selene. Listen, they, I, just, I asked the youth group. They volunteered, so I, and it was six guys. And so here we are with a bunch of goddesses represented by our boys. And it's fun. <laughs> um, so Selene was the moon goddess. She was all about wisdom. All right? And, and, and with Selene, you would look at the stars to tell the future and discern answers to life's biggest questions. You know, the idea that the truth is there if you know where to look. It's still, I mean, people are still doing this today, right? And, and so with Selene, the idea was these stars have the answers you need. And Gray, maybe you can just like, if you could peer into the stars searching for wisdom. Oh. That's good. That's good. Here we are. This is it. This is Colossae. I mean, there were certainly more. This is probably a small sampling, right? But these are some of the ones, some of the philosophies, some of the, the cults, and some of the you know, religious groups that we know were represented there. And it's into this world of all sorts of philosophies and ideas that Paul writes Colossians 2, 8 through 10. 8 through 10. And, and you can certainly see why right? I mean, what a confusing place. All these different messages about what really matters and what's important and what you should build your life on. Now, of course, this was 2,000 years ago, right? What good are Paul's words today? I mean, does 2023 America look anything like 40, 50 AD, Colossae? Well, let's consider it. Let's think about it for a minute. So we have, we have Sibylle here, right, who says you need love in every form. Now, we don't have processions out in public going out into the streets and doing physical stuff in public with strangers. But, man, romantic love is, is still a huge part of the conversation. In fact, we have lots of people talking about love. You know, a few years back, um, I mean, one of the places we see this discussed most often is in our, in our art in our songs, I mean, in our movies. I remember a few years back, Ed Sheeran, he released this song called Perfect. I'm sure you heard it. You know, it's dancing in the dark with you between my arms, right? Um, you don't want to hear me try to sing it. Um, but it was, this, it was this romantic ballad, and it was focused on marriage. It was written about his wife-to-be. A beautiful song. It was the number one song of 2018. It was played so much, even that in, in 2019, it was still the, it was like the 13th. Uh, song on the charts. So it had some real staying power, right? Here is what blows my mind. Around that same time on the chart was a song called Freaky Friday, okay? And the lyrics are filthy, all right? Lots of sexual stuff, very degrading toward women. There's just this total perversion of the romantic love 
Um, and there's a, apparently a music video for it. I haven't seen it based on the lyrics. I would not recommend checking it out. But guess who's in it? Guess who guest stars in this video? It's Ed Sheeran. Yeah, he shows up in it. The same guy who writes all this beautiful stuff about romantic love, about love within a marriage. He's in this, this filthy video. And so I, our world today hasn't changed too much, has it, right? I mean, when it comes to love, the, the only real ethic regarding love in many people's minds today is consent. And consent is an important thing. But man, there is less and less value on commitment in romantic relationships, right? And very little regarding love and sex is considered sacred, or holy. And so, so the story goes that, man, no act, no expression of love is unhealthy or dangerous or harmful as long as the people involved agree to it. You still need love. You just, if you want to flip around for us, Ethan, today it hasn't changed too much. You just, you need love in whatever form you want, right? We're still basically worshiping civilly. Thesis. So there's, there's probably less people today uh, looking for magical power over others, although there's been a weird like, uptick in like, interest in witchcraft in the last about two years. Um, but regardless of that, we are still looking for power over others. And just as a side note, you know, if, you, if you're looking for power, it does imply that it can be used against others, right? That's the definition of power, something that you can wield against the people around you. So whether it's the push to do more and more in school so you can get one step ahead of your classmates, or it's empowering people by weaponizing their sexuality, maybe it's the slew of like politicians and Hollywood executives who have misused power against people, or, I mean, we've seen church leaders do the same, right? We've seen people lash out with power through violence and school shootings. The pursuit of power is still alive and well. And so if you'll flip for us, maybe it's not magical power, but you still need power over others. Now, Serapis, uh, if you remember, um, by the way, uh, somebody out there is going to be like some Greek scholar or something. And, and I mean, I, I, I checked YouTube for all these pronunciations for record. So um, Serapis, if you remember, was all about inventing a new truth to bring people together. And we don't have those kind of problems today right? We don't have issues getting along, certainly. You know, an article came out last month about how people are refusing to date or even be in friendships across political party lines. Um, And there are even dating apps for very particular political groups. So Red Yenta is a dating app for socialists, okay? And Donald Daters, you can guess, is exclusively for supporters of Donald Trump, all right? (laughs) They're dating apps for very specific groups of people. And man, this is probably not a surprise to you because, man, you know. You know how polarized things are. And we're losing, we're losing this idea that when you have a deep disagreement, you can talk with the person, And perhaps you can come to understand their position better. Or perhaps you can persuade one another of a virtuous cause. At the very least, you can find some common ground. But instead, today, when someone disagrees with you, it's an indicator that they are evil and hateful. And they're not deserving of conversation, consideration, or friendship. Certainly not your love. In Colossae, you were supposed to get along. But today, that's not enough. Today, if you'll flip for us, you need to agree with me or else you're evil and hateful. 
Mithras um, was all about secrets. Eli, can you do your secret thing again? Yeah, all right. Um, now, we don't have secret religious groups today, right? Well, we, we kind of do. I mean, there are things like Scientology where you kind of buy your way into the religion and, and you get access to more and more information and secrets as you go. But I feel like we are probably not here likely to go become Scientologists. But, man, our world is full of groups that let some people in and keep some people out, right? Um, I mean, some sororities and fraternities operate this way, right, where they have secrets and not everyone gets in, and it can be all about who's in and who's out. And we all encounter this. This isn't limited to sororities and fraternities. Whether it's the, the clique at your school that makes it so obvious who's in or out, or your clique at your work that does exactly the same. I was shocked to find out, you know, as a kid, I was like, I guess you grow up one day and these things aren't a problem. But we know, man, no, this still happens. This still happens. Um, Human beings, we have this tendency to exclude and to keep people out and to let people know who's in and who doesn't belong. I mean, it can happen here so easily if we're not careful, if we're not intentional about the way we love each other. It's all about, you know, being exclusive to others so you can feel included. And so it's less about you need our secrets, but now today it is about you need to be included. You need to be part of us. Now, Judaism, of course, is, is still around. Um, and while there are still some communities that practice Judaism in a way similar to the people of Paul's time, generally people are less interested in, this, in the specific rules of Judaism and more interested in, in the whole picture. And the need today, you can go ahead and flip for us, Manning, is you need to be a good person. You need to be a good person, and that's what's going to save you. As long as you're a good person, it doesn't really matter what you believe or think. But there are still some problems here, right? I mean, how good, how good do you have to be? What's the line, right? And who determines what good even is? I mean, people don't agree on what's good. Look at politics, right? You see how divided we are over what we think is good and best. Another problem with being a good person, how do you know if you're the good one? The only thing you can do is you look at someone else and you compare yourself. And so it's less about am I a good person? It's am I a better person? Am I better than them? And you're always checking others to see how you compare. And finally, we come to Selene. Um, give us the look again. Yes, man, so intent. Uh, You know, strangely enough, there are still quite a few people looking at the stars for answers today. You know, about one in four Americans believe in, like, horoscopes and and that sort of thing. Um, But there are other people looking at the stars, too, for other reasons. Um, I'm thinking of, like, scientists, right? And, man, what an incredible gift, like science, that our world is ordered and reliable and consistent in a way that allows us to learn and flourish and better the quality of life for others. What an amazing gift from God. I'm grateful for it. But I want us to think about this. How far does it go? Because there is this prevailing philosophy today that expresses itself in so many places in our lives that there is nothing we can't eventually figure out. That every question, every problem, social, political, emotional, everything can be solved with the right thinking. And this is not really a problem with science. This is a belief in myself. It's this idea of self-sufficiency. It's this idea, if you'll flip first grade, that you are all you need. And when you are the answer to all your problems, it becomes almost impossible to recognize your own failings and shortcomings. 
And, and if the right thinking really is the ultimate answer, then people with differing ideas, well, they're holding us back, right? And so I'm justified in demonizing and hating and mistreating people who disagree with me. So here we are. Welcome to Colossae or, or welcome to Lexington, right? Things haven't changed that much. Not that different. Still a world full of voices trying to get us to put our roots down into them, to to invest in them, to draw our life from all these other things rather than Jesus. In a way, it's a little depressing that the world hasn't changed much. But in another sense, there's something good here. Because here's what it means. It means that Paul's next words to us can apply right to us, just like they did to the Colossians. So right after warning us about this, about these hollow and deceptive philosophies vying for our attention and commitment, Paul says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Paul tells us that in a world full of voices, The only thing that is actually full is Jesus. Everything we need is in him. The fullness of God, the one who made it all, right, lives in Jesus, and in Jesus we are filled. And all these other voices, Jesus has power. He's the head over every power and authority. We've been looking at this idea of of being rooted, and maybe that phrase resonates with you. Maybe you've been through a time of great change, a, a move, a career change, an illness, a new school, loss of significant relationships, and you felt adrift and lost. And so you understand that need to be anchored, to be rooted in something. But the problem is not that we feel this need to be rooted in something as the source of our life. The problem is what we choose to be rooted in. And so Paul has this flashing neon sign pointing us to the answer that everything you need is in Jesus. The voices of the world, they say, you need love in whatever form you want. And Jesus responds, he says, I am the one who loves you perfectly and forever without condition. The world says, you know, you need power over others. Jesus says, I defeated the powers of sin and death for you. You need to agree with me, or else you're hateful and you're evil. Jesus says, I am your savior. I saved you so you can love your enemies. You need to be included. Jesus says, I am lifted up to draw all people to myself, and we are all one in Christ Jesus. You need to be a good person, and Jesus says, I am the one who frees you to be good. And the world says, you are all you need. You are all you need. Jesus says, you were never meant to be without me. And that's why, that's why he was willing to go to the cross. Because we're not self-sufficient. We are meant to be with Jesus. It, It is like the princess bride, okay? Because when we, each and every one of us, we stepped into quicksand, right? And we sank. And there was no hope. There was no chance we could save ourselves. We were going to die down there. And so he dove in. 
He dove in after us at his own expense, and he pulled us up from the pit of death, and he rescued us, and death couldn't hold him either. Let's thank these guys, and we'll let them go have, have a seat. Thank you guys so much. You can take those with you. You know, there are so many things about your life and my life that I just don't know. I don't have the answers to. But I do know this. Jesus is the one for you. He is it, okay? He's the one you're meant for. And the world will tell you you need, you need, you need. But the truth is Jesus is the one you need. All the rest of it, it's just quicksand. Um, We're about to stand and worship together. And if we can help you, man, we would love to pray with you, to talk with you, just to sit, to be with you. but man, we would like to know if, if there's some way we can help you on your journey with Christ. If you want to put them on today in baptism, we'll make it happen. Um, if there's anything we can do for you, uh, please let us know as we stand and worship. And-